Turn with me, if you're not there, to the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 1. As I have opportunities in the weeks or months ahead to speak on a Sunday night, we like to go through the book of Malachi. I'd like to read chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, a book that perhaps receives a little bit of attention in our Christian circles today, but a book that demands our attention. Malachi is writing to a group of people that their message, seven messages, that is extremely relevant to where we are today. It's a message that needs to be heard as we look at these seven messages. Chapter 1, verse 1, the oracle, or can be translated, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I love Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I've laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. We step into this book of Malachi, and there are seven messages that will now make up the heart of this, this letter. Seven messages that really are very, very relevant for where we are today. Um, we look at the seven messages. It begins with today. They forgot the love of God, and God wanted to remind them that he still loved them. That really lays the foundation for the next seven messages. In light of what the foundation of God's love to them, and as he unfolds and the challenges that's before them. And that will be a very important foundation because some of the messages are going to be pretty hard-hitting. But for them to remember where God began, that God loves them and that God cares for them. Messages that will be heard will be that they have ruined worship with their quick, thoughtless approach. They come in and they're empty-minded as to how they sing or worship the Lord. Perhaps, unfortunately, we may be able to relate to that. Or the word of God was not be declared with power and clarity, that it was being compromised from the pulpit, so to speak. Or holy marriages that have been profaned by, by marrying pagans, women that didn't love God or know God. Or they had robbed God by failing to give to him what was proper his due, the tithes and, and their offerings. They became self-righteous in charging God, and so he addresses that in another message. Um, and on it goes. But Malachi loves his, his, his fellow countrymen, and he wants to bring before them the challenge of the Word of God and how they need to change and get their lives in order. So when he begins with the first words, it's not lightly that he writes these words, and we're catching a heart of Malachi, and it's the, it's the word, the oracle of the Word. And really, it's the word burden that can be translated there. Oracle means something that's heavy to carry. You're carrying a load and you don't take it lightly and it's, and it's hard to carry as you're trucking along here. And so Malachi comes before the people with this heavy burden. The first time I, I hiked the Grand Canyon, I've, I've done it three times. The first time, I wasn't very smart, not that I was the next two times, but I had a backpack that weighed 48 pounds. They say you should never, I found this out years later, have more than 25% of your weight. So I'm going down and it is killing me. And the sun and the July sun is just scorching me back in 2000. Well, we went just uh, about a month ago and one of our hikers, I'll leave him anonymous, had a heavy backpack. But I, I would guess maybe in the high 30s, but really far more than we should have had. And Brian Johnson graciously offered to carry this pack. 
Brian was suffering the next couple days and shoulder pain. By the time he got to the bottom, he says, I'm not carrying this puppy up. Uh, but it just was a heavy burden. This is the way Malachi is feeling. As he, he has to share this letter with his, with his countrymen. But he begins in a very powerful theme. He says, I want to talk about God's love to us. And so he begins with these words that God loves us. Pastor's preaching through the book of Daniel. And we'll get to chapter 4. And in Daniel 4, it's this dream that, that Nebuchadnezzar has. And, and Daniel is given the interpretation of it. And he gives the interpretation to the king. But in verse 27, he pleads with him. King, please. He basically says, please repent. Change it up. You don't, this doesn't have to happen. You have an opportunity to change. This is the kind of burden that I see Malachi with. He's pleading with his countrymen that they could change. So I want us, if I were to put a goal... And this, this evening, briefly, that we have together and really lays the foundation for what I want to accomplish throughout this little series. May we realize God's great love. Now, that's a, that's a broad topic. And may we change our actions because of it. May I be reminded of his love and may that order how I walk and how I live. So he begins in verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord. Back in 1987... I was youth pastor at Parsippany Baptist, and we took a group of kids to teens to work with Mike McCummins, who was a missionary in Los Angeles. And we had a, just a, an awesome ministry for that week out there. And the last day that we were there, we took the kids to Disneyland to, to treat them on this little, little treat. Now, at that time, we had two daughters. My oldest, Kara, was two, and Katie was one month old. And so Lynn stayed home with, with the girls. I brought them back little presents from, from Disney. I brought back... Um, Katie, a Minnie Mouse, and I gave Kara a Jiminy Cricket. And I said to her, now, do you know why Daddy's given this to you? And she says, why? Because Daddy loves you. And I milked that for all it was worth for the next maybe 10 years. I would go into her room, do you know why Daddy gave that to you? But I wanted her to understand my love for her was genuine and will be forever. That, that I loved her and cared for her, and it was a symbol, was a reminder of my love. And that's really what, what Malachi is doing. I want to show you how God has loved you. You may question it, and God makes a statement, I have loved you, and now he's about to give awesome proof of, their, of, of God's love to them. You know, when you hear something awesome or you get news that just takes your breath away and it's the greatest news you could ever heard here, or, what's your response? Don't you just like, wow, that's incredible, Right? Back a year, year and a half ago, for my 60th birthday, uh, my girls um, really pulled off quite a shocker for me. They invited uh, friends that I had grown up with um, over the years um, and friends from Long Island that we um, had stayed in contact with. And so I walked to, um, um, what, Akaris, is that how you pronounce it? A restaurant went in the back there. I'm just thinking, was our family getting together? And I start to see my friends around there. It's like my breath was taken away. But what shocked me the most was that my buddy from, from Florida flew up for my 60th birthday. I kept saying throughout the whole evening, Mark, what are you doing here? You know, and then we're eating about 20 minutes later. I said, look at you. You're here. Like, why are you here? I mean, thanks. I love you. But, I mean, and so something that just so shocks us. That's the way we should be towards the love of God. I have loved you. I mean, we take the Lord's table, but may we never get over that. May it drive us. May the decisions how we act towards one another, 
that it doesn't have to be about me. It's about him. And I'm gonna, I want to remember what he has done. May we not get, oh, you know, people don't care for me or look what my neighbor does to me or look what the so-and-so does to me or look how they work here, treat me at work. We're, we, we're loved by God. I have loved you. And may that generate how we live. And that should have been Israel's response. But that's not where they are. And so God reminds him, I have loved you. But look at the level to which God stoops. He says, I have loved you. And their response back is, are you kidding? How have you loved us? You know, what have you done to really show us and loved us? So they question God, well, how have you loved us? Like, hello, let's go over Israel's history for the last 1,500 years. Malachi could have said, anybody home? Like Abraham and follow all the blessings. But they, they weren't getting it. How have you loved us? So God gives them proof. God gives them evidence of the love that he has towards them. And he talks about Edom. He says, is this not Esau and Jacob brothers? So he starts to talk about their, 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 their background. Just let me pause for a moment. What causes us to be ungrateful? Don't, you don't have to answer. But what causes us to come to the Lord's table? What causes me to come to the Lord's table and to not have a heart that's just screaming forth, God, how awesome you are? What causes us to go through a day, days, a week, that our hearts are cold to the love of God? That God loved me. I mean, Grace, you sang the song, Jesus loves me. This I know for whatever your little sweet, sweet version was there. Um, well, does that move me, that Jesus loves me? What causes me not to be moved by that? You know what it is? You ready? Is it selfishness, right? I, I'm the center of my life. God, if I'm not grateful to you, I've moved you aside, and all that matters is me. It's all about me. It's not about you, God. It's about me. And he's trying to show this nation that they are so selfish and sinful. They're forgetting all that God has done. And he's about to unfold their selfishness. They're self-centered. They replaced idolatry, all of the pagan gods, after they got out of exile, after they were exiled. They, got, they came back home from their captivity. They replaced those gods with their self-god. They became the god. So he talks about Jacob and Esau. And he wants to remind them, you know, of who... Who, um, who, who is Jacob and who is Esau? And they were related. They were brothers, twin brothers. Isaac had them. Now, who was the oldest one? It was Esau. Though Esau was the oldest, did he get the blessing that was normally due the, the oldest? Says, they said, like, check out your history, people. Remember from whence you've come. Remember who you are. Remember what God has done. God blessed Jacob and God did bless Esau. God gave them a, a great blessing. But Jacob far more. You look over the history, it's clear and it's easy to see that, that God has greatly blessed, blessed, blessed Jacob. Why? Why did God bless Jacob? Was it because they were better? Because they were more worthy? Because they were more righteous? Of course we know that's not the answer. In fact, Jacob was pretty deceitful going in with Rebecca. Yeah, let's like pull a fast one on dad and steal the blessing. So it's not because he was more righteous, but because God willed it. God desired it. God's gracious to whom he will be gracious. So this nation should have got it. God, you're so gracious to us, all that you've done. But he says, just check out your history. Check out the background. He says, Esau, I've hated. 
Well, we read those words. We say, that's pretty powerful words. But not to the point, perhaps, that we're thinking of it. Did God hate Esau? Did God hate them to the point of how he loved Jacob? The Lord's not speaking of hate as we would view hate. He's not saying that he's directed against someone, that I'm going to put all my actions that come against you. Maybe it would be better if we look at the word love and choosing and hate and rejecting. So God's choosing a line through whom he's going to bless, and the greatest blessing is the Messiah coming. So he chose Jacob to bless them, to care for them, to nurture them, to cause them to flourish through whom the Messiah would come. But God still blessed Esau in a sense that he became a great nation and he was prosperous. But far more, if one were just to look at it and see the difference, clear to see that Jacob was blessed so richly. So he's reminding them of how he has loved them and how he's cared for them. Perhaps a close parallel to this hate and love situation would be we think of Rachel and Leah, um, Jacob's wives, that Rachel was more loved. She was the chosen one. It's not like he woke up in the morning and would throw rocks at Leah and curse her and do violent things. He just had a greater love for, for, for his wife Rachel. Or we look at the story of Jesus when he uses the word hate. If you hate your mother and father. Now it's not that he's saying get up and hate your parents. Don't, don't care for your parents. He's not saying that at all. But you have to choose your preference. Are you going to follow Christ? Or are you going to follow your parents in a sense of be all about them and caring and being home and hanging out with parents? Or there's a point where we need to put Christ first. That's what he's saying. What Jesus is saying. So we, we look at this hate and love of his response towards, towards Edom or Esau. And he's given examples. Let me go further how I have loved you, Jacob. Look at what's happened to Esau. So as they're sitting in 400 B.C., they should step back in the previous 100 years and review the history of Edom. That was really Esau's descendants. So look at what happened to Edom. So here as they sat in 400 B.C., here is Israel back in the promised land. God brought them back, and they have an opportunity to flourish, and they're rebuilding, and the walls, and the temple. There they are back after captivity, coming out of captivity. Now look around you. Look at what happened to Edom. Look at where they are. How are they doing? Some of us will get to enjoy um, next year as we travel into some of Edom's kingdom, as we look at Petra. Petra was a key city in the nation of Edom. As you work your way down a long passageway, I've not been there yet, um, but a long passageway, and all of a sudden you walk through and you open up and you see the temple is what they call it, and you see all of the city of Petra, incredible. This was a fortress. I mean, how in the world, we're going to look at that and say, how in the world does it fall? How, it's, it's easily defended, but it was God's will for it to fall. It was God's will, God's judgment upon them because they were pretty rough on Israel. They hated Israel. They sided always with Israel's opponents. They were happy when Israel fell. And so judgment day came upon them when God removed his covering, so to speak, on them and allowed the Babylonians to crush them, and they never recovered. And the nation, as he says in verse 4, Edom could proudly say, you know what, we're going to rebuild. God says, you're not going to rebuild. The point is, is he's comparing the two nations and God's blessings. You know, Israel should have discerned their problems and trials as God's loving discipline. He should have, they should have looked and said, you know, what we're really struggling with here is because we've erred from God 
God now is correcting us. God is bringing us back. God is punishing us, but as a loving father, he's loved us. He's been faithful to us through all of our hardships and all that he's done for us. God's love is outstanding. But they were stiff-necked people that rebelled against God and were rejecting his ways, and they weren't able to see the love of the Father. In 1346, during the Hundred Years' War, the English army was battling the king of, the king, uh, I should say, the king of um, England, King Edward III, was fighting a French battalion, Creasy, France. And he sent his son, Prince, um, his name was Prince Edward, um, to take one battalion. And his, the father was overlooking the whole overall battle. And he said, son, I'll, I'll be watching. I'll send for help. I'll send reinforcements if you need them. And so in the middle, no sooner they started the battle, the son thought he was in trouble, quickly sends a, a messenger, dad, I need more, I need more assistance. There was no response. He sends a second messenger. I need more re- assistance. We're, we're being overtaken. And the father responded back with these words. Go tell my son that I'm not so ex- inexperienced a commander as not to know when help is needed, nor so careless a father as not to send it. You see, God the Father cared for Israel, and they weren't getting it. And so they were living a hypocritic, blind, rebellious um, lifestyle, contrary to what God was, was requiring. May we never question love of God during difficult times. When events may come in our lives that we don't understand, when we, we, we don't understand circumstances, and we're going through what seems to be through the valley of a shadow of death and heartache upon our heartache just piles on top of us, May we not forget that God loves us, and even though we don't see the end of the tunnel or the light at the end of the tunnel, it doesn't change the fact that God loves us and cares for us, that we need to trust him that he has us in his hands. And that's what we, re- we remind ourselves at the Lord's table, that God is continually caring for us, and God is continually with us, and God loves us greatly. He's shown us that in the past. The book of Ephesians just shouts that forth. Let me just close with verse 5. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. God is reaching them in their present situation, and he's telling them, in the midst of all of this hardship, in the midst of all of this difficulty, in the midst of all of these problems that that you are going about right now that's happening, he said, there's going to be a day. And he's looking in the future, this future day. Great is the Lord. They would be able to shout this forth that one day in the future they would declare, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Great is the Lord. Do you know what the word Lord is? It's a pretty sweet word. It's not just the word for master, it's not the word for sovereign. It's really referring to a covenant keeping name, Yahweh. And so they're going to call him Yahweh. You see, they're not understanding right now the Yahweh in their life that God is a covenant-keeping, redeeming God, and all of God's graciousness and mercy wraps around that name, Yahweh. They weren't seeing that. But one day in the future, in the end, when Christ will defeat all of Israel's enemies, and they're seeing a snapshot of it then in their day in 400 B.C., but he speaks to the end, you will shout forth, great is the Lord. So as we wrap up, And think of the opening words, I have loved you, says the Lord to Israel. And God says the same thing to us. How are we doing in that reminder? How are we doing in that memory? Do we remember that God loves us? 
You know, if we sometimes look around and see the situation that the church is in, you know, we struggle with the church in America seems so anemic and self-centered, and yet we rejoice to hear what God's doing in other parts of the country, how part of the world, how their church is alive. But we then hear of the Middle East, how the church is being persecuted and Iran wiped out, villages wiped out. And yet we remember the fact that the gates of hell shall not prevail. If God was, as God was faithful to preserve Israel, God is faithful and will preserve the church. And we have a ministry, we have an opportunity that God has given to us that we just need to be faithful in light of God. God still is at work in the church. He says, I have loved you, he's going to use us. So as we look at all that that God is doing, may we daily remind ourselves of God's love. And specifically, may we daily, as we finish the Lord's table, may we daily speak the gospel to ourselves. Right? Do you know what I mean by that? What, What do I mean by speak the gospel? What does that look like in our lives? As maybe we're encountering a situation where we're being tempted, we just need to speak the gospel. Christ, I belong to you. Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and he rose again and he's ascended on high. He is the Lord of my life. I belong to him. I am going to live for him. That's the gospel, speaking it to ourselves. Keep reminding ourselves. And then that will change our actions. When we say, Jesus, thank you. When we remember that we were once enemies, we've been brought near, then it has to change how we live. When we think of all that God has done, may our response be, lover of my soul, I want to live for you. God, I want to live for you. You love me. I must live for you. I have loved you, says the Lord. I'm going to close with this song. We'll be dismissed at the conclusion of this video song.
now see 